I am incredibly excited about 2017. And I've heard a lot of people say, oh, 2016, not a great year. Uh, you know, 2016, honestly, for, for my family was one of the craziest years. And you know what? I still loved 2016 because God did amazing things. I'll just tell you right now, having a relationship with God, no matter what you go through, when he's on the inside of you, you can get through it. And, and it's so incredible. If you're here today and you're coming out and checking out church on New Year's Day, thank you for being here. I just want to tell you, man, when you have God inside of you, you have joy. Uh, happiness depends on what happens, but joy is a different matter. We, we called our church Joy Church, and we didn't call it that because we thought it was the coolest name or fit the demographic of the city. There's probably way cooler names for, for churches we could have come up with. We, we wanted to call it Joy because we believe that's the outcome of it, what happens when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. No matter what you go through, you have joy inside of you. And man, I'm, just, I'm excited about what God is doing in my life. I'm excited about what God's doing in our church. And I'm excited to see what God's going to do in your life this year. Can I get an amen on New Year's Day? Well, we're kicking off a brand new series called Practically Spiritual. And I had to call the series this Against My Wife's Better Judgment, which, guys, if you, know, you shouldn't do that ever, but sometimes. And, and I was, I'm really excited about this series. Uh, we're going to be talking in the next several weeks uh, just about how to relate to God. And really breaking down this perception that there are these spiritual experts or gurus that have all the answers and we have to learn this, the, the intricate moves to a very uh, peculiar dance uh, of, of religious ways to pray and, and different things to access God. I want to say right now, God's not hiding from us, right? He wants a relationship with you. He made us for a relationship. And he's, he, God puts the cookies on the bottom shelf. Come on. You can get to the good stuff, right? You can get to the good stuff with God. And, and you don't need uh, an intermediary other than Jesus to access God's presence, right? Uh, my job as pastor isn't to help you get to God. That's, that's not, no, you, you have access into God's presence. That's what Jesus did. So we're going to talk about that this month and give some practical teaching on how to hear the voice of God. How many of you want to hear God's voice and, and know what it's like to hear God's voice and be guided? I remember we did a young adults night one time and it was called how to know what to do when you don't know what to do. Uh, and we'll talk about that, how to hear God's voice. We'll talk about prayer. We'll talk about fasting. I know that's a scary word. Fasting is scary. I don't like it. I mean, I was telling Justin today, I finished more three day fasts in a day and a half than I can count. <laughs> I'll have a gift, man. I just get everything I need out of that three-day fast. Boom. Day one and a half, I'm good. Uh, thanks, Lord. I got everything I needed out of this. No. We'll talk about fasting. We'll talk about worship. We'll talk about reading the Bible and getting the most out of it. And we're going to do that in a really practical way, just, just together being equipped to access God's presence and to know God and to, to enjoy Him. Come on, it's going to be awesome. But today, I want to speak a message and share a message with you that the Lord actually put this in my heart back in the summer at youth camp. And we were there and my sister, Natalie, who's a way better preacher than me. So if you ever get a chance to hear her, you'll be like, why do we go to the Joy Church? We're moving to Medford to hear Natalie. But anyways, Natalie preached an incredible message. And, and during her sermon, the Lord just downloaded to me this message that I'm going to share with you today. And it's called more. Somebody say more. More. Do you want more of God in 2017? Do you want to know Him more? Do you want to be deeper in your relationship with God? And then let me ask you this follow-up question. Do you want Him to have His way in your life? Amen. Okay, wow, you answered that pretty quick. Do you know there's a lot at stake when you say yes to that, isn't there? 
when you let God in, when you give him more of your life and he comes in and takes up residence inside, right? There, there's, there's a lot of implications to that. But this word more, I, I love the word more. Uh, I'm Sicilian. One person thought I said Syrian one time, but no, I'm not Syrian. I'm Sicilian. And uh, you forget about it. You know what I mean? My grandpa is full-blooded Sicilian, and, and so I'm, I think, a quarter if you boil it down, but my heart is all Italian. And uh, so my blood is only 25%, but the heart is all Sicilian. I like meatballs, and I cannot lie. All right. But the word more is an awesome word in an Italian household. And if you've ever been fed by an Italian mom, then you know, uh, and I heard this from Ray Romano, you know, you can't, if you want, like, if you want a little, if you want a little bit more, like just a tiny bit more, you have to basically say, I don't want any more. Don't give me any more. And then boom, there's more food on your plate. If you really, if you're really full, right, and, and, and you really can't actually physically get any more food inside, you have to shoot her. And you can't graze her, you got to plant one. You know what I mean? Because she's a coming at you to feed you, you're too skinny. You know, my... My mom doesn't have an accent, but man, she likes to, to feed. And my mom, I'll be like, Mom, could I have a little bit of pasta? And there's like a pound of pasta, six pieces of meat, you know, and it's, it's awesome. So I love the word more. And you're going to get more with an Italian mom, whether you want it or not, right? When you open your life to God, I, I believe God's an Italian. I really do. You know, he, he created uh, all the different races, and they're great, but the Italian people, they get it when it comes to life. You know what I mean? You live on the Mediterranean Sea, you just lay around and eat pasta all the time, and you talk like this, you know, it's awesome. And uh, God, when you say, God, I'd like more of you, you know, God doesn't, he doesn't portion himself out in little British tea sandwich sized portions. God doesn't, God is like Red Robin, he gives you unlimited fries. When you say, I want more, God, he pours himself out. And I just want to tell you right now that when we open our life to the move of God, when we say, God, I want to know you more, I want more of you, God goes full on Italian mama and, and he brings it on. Come on, he brings it on. I want to talk about a passage of scripture, Exodus chapter 33. We'll throw it up on the screen here. Exodus chapter 33, verses 7 through 11. We're going to read this. And this was back in the Old Testament times. Uh, out in the wilderness, Moses had led the people of Israel out of captivity, out of Egypt, and God was making himself known. God was making himself available to his people and setting up the, the ways they were going to relate to him. And it says this in Exodus chapter 33, verse 7, it was Moses practiced to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. Now let me pause for one second and say, this wasn't the tabernacle. This wasn't the place where the Ark of the Covenant was and the bronze uh, altar and laver and all the fancy stuff and all the measurements. You know, I remember being a kid and reading through Deuteronomy and being bored to death, you know, with all the, the measurements and everything. But they had this very highly elaborate, very engineered tabernacle set up. And this is not that. This is another thing that God said, okay, make a tent of meeting. And, and it says, everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. A lot of times we think about the Old Testament. If you have any knowledge of this or you've, you've heard this or been in church at all before, and if not, that's fine. I'm going to explain it. But we think about God being very hard to get to, right? Being very set apart. And we know there was this elaborate system, and that was actually illuminating an aspect of God's character that he's perfect and holy, right? 
right? And that we need to have some fear and some reverence and some awe when we approach God. I believe in that, definitely. And that illustrates and illuminates that principle. But then God also said, look, anyone who wants to make a request, come to the tent of meeting. Isn't this interesting that this God who's perfect and holy and maybe some could say unapproachable actually has made a way for people to approach him, even in this Old Testament scenario, even before Christ has come. And it says that anyone who wanted to make a request would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And it says, whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their own tent. And it says they would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. Joshua, the young man who assisted him, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. Now, I want to give you two words today from this passage of Scripture. The place of meeting, the place of God's presence, the place of having a relationship like Moses did face to face with God. I don't know if that was available to all the Israelites. It doesn't say that it was or wasn't, but, but Moses would meet with God face to face. And we do know that it was open to at least another person because Joshua was there and he would stay. The place of God's presence, and here's the two words, was known and accessible. It was known and accessible. Say those words with me. It was known and it was accessible. The place of God's presence, the tent of meeting, the place where you could go and, and, and give your request to God. You could meet Him and, and speak to Him and, and engage with Him and talk to the Creator of heaven and earth. It was known and accessible. As I was, God put this in my spirit back in the summer so strongly that for, the, for most of us, we know that God is, we can, we can get to Him. And oftentimes we're not, we're, not, we're not connecting with God, not because we don't know where he's at or that he's accessible, but because we don't really want to take that step and go to that place. Because we know it will cost us. Everybody was standing in their own tent, but they knew. They watched Moses go and they stood there and they had a form of worship. They bowed down, they were, but they remained in their comfort zone in the door of their own tent. You know, I, I think about a place that's known and accessible. If you want the glory of God in a chicken sandwich, all you have to do is drive to Portland because now they have Chick-fil-A in Portland. Can I get an amen on Chick-fil-A? Yeah. Right? I love Chick-fil-A. And my friends, the Blotneys, were going to bring me a Chick-fil-A sandwich. I think it's still coming. Is this true? Are they in here? It's still coming? Okay. Amen. That's good. But, you know, when I think about going to get a chicken sandwich, I, I think about going to Chick-fil-A. The glory of God in chicken sandwich form is at Chick-fil-A. It's known and accessible. Why would you not go to Chick-fil-A? If you know it's available, right? You know that it's right there. The glory of God in taco form is at Tacovor, right down on Blair in Eugene. If you, if you knew, if you know where it's at, why would you go anywhere else? I'll go to Taco Bell. Why? Go get God's glory in a taco form at Tacovor, right, Matt? That's right. That's right. These people knew where God was was. They knew how to meet him. They knew how to get to him. They knew where he was accessible, but they stayed at their tent because they were content with their level of God. They had enough. Let me tell you what's very dangerous for us as Christians is to get enough of God. I have enough faith. 
I have enough Christianity. I have enough giving. I have enough serving. I have enough of my life turned over. I have enough to not feel guilty, but not more than makes me feel uncomfortable. And you know, it's very dangerous. The longer that you pursue Christ, the harder this battle, or the longer you know Christ, the harder this battle becomes. You know, as a young person, a lot of times our sins as young people, they're, they're more like the sins of the eyes or the flesh. You know, you, you, you drink way too much and you drive way too fast and you spend too much time with people that you're not supposed to. And then as you get older, you, you sort of clean up the external, but then the internal begins to be a lot more uh, dangerous. It can calcify. Has anybody felt this or found this to be the case? And we can get inoculated to, the God, to God, where we have enough of Him to be comfortable, but not enough to be radical, to be different, and to be a world changer. And I believe that God wants to stir in our spirit this month and stir in our spirit as a church that we do not remain content with enough of God. That we do not remain comfortable, but we allow God to make us uncomfortable by giving us more of Himself. Because you see, when God gives us more of Himself, what that means is that we have to reduce our agenda, our flesh, our desires, our comfort level goes down and maybe God's going to say, open up your house to an orphan. Open up your house to a foster child, a, a modern day orphan and give more of yourself. Maybe when God gives you more of him, he's going to challenge you to be a giver and, and let the, uh, the moths fly out of your wallet and begin to give to missions and give to the poor and give to God's purposes around the world. I don't know what it's going to look like for you, but when God gives us more, we have to go down, Right? And are we just comfortable? Do we have enough of God? These people were content to stand in their, their tent, to stand at the door of their tent and watch somebody else encounter God. Let me just tell you, one of the problems with our model of church is that even what we're doing right now in this moment, and I'm happy to share with you and speak to you and, 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 and speak what I believe God wants me to speak, that's awesome. But if you think that only I'm qualified to do it, then we've missed it and I failed as a leader. You know, I don't look at myself as a successful leader when I preach a good message. That just means I know how to talk. And sometimes I talk better than other times. It's a skill, maybe a gift from God. And you have gifts and skills from God. Did you know what makes me successful as a leader, though? It's not when I preach a sermon. It's when I impart and I make disciples and somebody else steps up and they speak. Come on. The mark of good leadership is what's happening when that person's not around, right? So if I've done anything good as a leader, it's that you're sharing your faith with your co-workers. It's that you're opening up your life to the lost. It's that you're opening up your heart to God. Not, I'm not successful as a leader when I talk. I'm successful as a leader when, when I've imparted something to you. You hear what I'm saying? And we have this view. Oftentimes we're, we're very content to stand in our comfort zone and allow somebody else to go to the place of meeting and meet the living God. And we're okay to watch from afar and maybe we have a level of worship. We bow down and we say, oh yes, I, I'm so happy that Moses is going to go to the tent of meeting and Joshua is going to go to the tent of meeting. I'm content to let Pastor Jake and Bethany go to the tent of meeting and, and Judah, uh, the Joshua and Kyle, the Joshua, they, they stay at the tent of meeting. Right? And we're content to let a few spiritual experts go to meet with God. And that's not how it's supposed to be. Why do we not all go to the tent of meeting? There was a moment in the same period of time when God's Spirit came down and He began to anoint different people 
to prophesy. And there was these two guys, I think they were called Eldad and Medad, awesome names. And they were, and I might have that wrong, so don't, don't, somebody's going to send me an email, you know, you can't be the pastor anymore because you didn't know the right names of these two obscure Old Testament figures. But, so please forgive me just in advance if I messed it up. But Eldad and Medad, they, the God's Spirit came on them and they were, they were, began to prophesy, but they hadn't actually shown up to the meeting and they were in the camp and that, the young man runs up to Moses and is like, these guys are prophesying in the camp. And Moses goes, you know, should we stop them? And Moses goes, no, I wish all of God's people were prophets. Do you know what would be awesome? Is if every person in this room, God used in an awesome way. I know that sometimes people look at the guy or the girl who's speaking in front or leading worship or, or doing announcements and we think, oh, that person must be at level, you know, a higher level than me. And honestly, we're all just real people and we're just letting God use us and God wants to use you. Come on. But are you content? Are you comfortable? Are you going to press in and ask God for more this year? I hate spectator Christianity. I remember when I played, I mean, I like to be in the game. Is anybody else like me? I want, to, I want to play. I remember my, my dad was our coach, and I played soccer. And uh, before you think it was anything real glorious, it was like rec league, you know, Rogue Valley Soccer Club, whatever level. But we were dominant in our division. And we went like two or three straight seasons without losing a game. We'd be beating, you know, other kids 17 to 0. And my dad would have all the defense up on offense. And, you know, we weren't doing the politically correct, let the other team score. You know, I think one game, one season, the only goal that was scored on us was actually kicked in by our own team on accident. Um, so we kind of clemsoned uh, against Ohio State like that happened last night. Where's Jared? Anyways, I just, sorry, I just wanted to comfort him because his team was beat 31 to 0. And I'll, I'll lay it off. You can hit me back on the Ducks. I know we didn't, we're not even in a bowl game. But we would just crush teams. And I remember my dad would pull me out of the game, and I played defense. I was husky, you know, and I loved to slide tackle. And he'd pull me out of the game, and I would almost be in tears. Dad, no! Like, Jake, we've got to let other kids play. No, I wanted to play. If, we're, if the game is happening, I don't want to sit on the sidelines. And yet in our faith, why are we content at times to sit on the sidelines? And let somebody else play the game. And we think that there's, oh, well, other people are more qualified and other people are better and so on and so forth. And God wants you to step in and engage with him in relationship, in prayer, in reading the word, in ministering to people. Come on, God wants all of us in the game. There aren't supposed to be any spectators. This right here is a team meeting. You're not watching me do the ministry. You're just watching me use my gift. I'm just a coach. And I'm saying, get out there and play the game. Come on, I'm excited about what God wants to do in 2017. Because God wants to raise up a group of people who aren't spectating, but are participating. Who aren't just watching somebody else or a few people, what they think of as experts, go and meet with God. But we all meet with God. Get up in the morning. Get out of your tent. Get out of your comfort zone. And get to the tent of meeting and meet with God. Known and accessible. You can get to Him. He wants to have a relationship with you. Hearing God's voice is for everybody. It's not for pastors. Well, the pastor, you know, did you hear from God? Yeah, as a Christian, not as a pastor. There's no category of spiritual expert. It doesn't exist, you guys. Come on. You can hear God's voice. You can encounter God in the Word and be transformed by the Scriptures. You can understand the Scriptures. doesn't mean you're not going to have to study or work. It's not like it just happens by magic, right? It's like anything, but, but it's there for you. It's known. It's accessible. 
But what happens, and why, do pe- why would somebody not want to go? Why would these people stand in their tents and be content to let Moses go to the tent of meeting? Well, we get a little bit of an insight into this. If you go backwards a little bit in Exodus chapter 20, verse 18, it says, When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. That's how I felt last night with all the fireworks going off. I thought, I thought somebody started a, like a revolt, you know? The, the uh, uh, people of River Road were re- rebelling against uh, the, the American government or something because it was just all this kind of thing. And I'm trying to sleep, you know, angry at people. I'm very curmudgeonly after 9 o'clock at night. <laughs> Anyways, the people were seeing the flashes and they're trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. You speak to us and we'll listen. But don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. Don't be afraid, Moses answered them, for God has come in this way to test you and so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. In other words, God wants you to see he is holy, he is perfect, and he is powerful. If you don't know God in these ways, then you don't know God. You know, one of the ways that we understand the depth and the power of grace is to understand how angry and how bad sin, how angry sin makes God and how bad it is. The darkness of sin contrasts with the light of grace. you got to see that God is perfect in all of his ways. We sing that song, you are perfect in all of your ways. If you don't think that God is holy or that he doesn't care about sin or bad behavior, no, God really cares. That's why the cross is a big deal. And so God reveals himself as the God of coming down upon the mountain and they're, they're scared. And Moses says, look, God wanted to let you see him in this way to help you understand the seriousness, to keep you from sinning so you'd have a a real fear of God. There's a difference though between the fear of the Lord and being afraid of God. And we're going to talk about this in a second, okay? Because we talk about the fear of the Lord. We want to have a fear of the Lord in our life, a a reverence, an awe, a, a respect, an understanding of God's holiness. But these people were afraid of God. And it says, as they stood in the distance, Moses approached the dark cloud where God was. So we see why they didn't want to go to the tent of meeting, because they remembered the mountain God, right? Well, the same God that's coming to the tent of meeting is also the God that was coming down upon the mountain and lightning was flashing and fire and and it was really scary. And they had this, they, they knew that, but their fear was not righteous. And I'll tell you why, because they didn't want to be changed or challenged by the holiness of God. They wanted to stay the same, and therefore they had to stay away. If you want to stay the same this year in 2017 in your your faith, your your level of God, the the level in your life that you've turned over to Him, then you need to stay away. You see, when you come and you want to approach God, you will be transformed. You will be changed. It just has to happen. The perfection of God is actually very scary to me to think about God in His perfect holiness this perfect light, I mean, he is, he's scary in that way. And when I come in my sinfulness, apart from Christ, I wouldn't even dare to do it, right? But in Christ, he bids me to come and I can approach him. But you know what's going to happen is when I get close, that light's going to shine and I'm going to look down and realize, ooh, there's a lot of things going on here that aren't good. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit's going to come and there will be change. There will be change. There will be transformation. But if you don't want that, then you got to stay away. And thus, we oftentimes find this middle zone of, I can see God, I know that He's there, 
and I'm even going to worship him in some level, but I'm going to stay far enough away that I don't get burned. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I'm going to stay far enough away from turning my life over to God because I'm scared that he'll call me to be a missionary in Africa. That was my deepest, darkest fear. <laughs> Is that if I got too close to God, he would call me to Africa and I'd have to live in, with rats and bugs and lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. And, and, and I, was, I was scared of that. But then, no, the, what I realized is that all of the good stuff was in a, getting close to God. But if I want to stay the same, i got to stay away. But if I want to be new, then I have to come near. If you want to be changed, if you want to let addictions be broken off your life, if you want to have strong and healthy children and raise them up in the fear of the Lord, to love God, and you want to change your city and be a light in the, dark, in the darkness, then you got to come close to God. Come on. If you want to be new, you got to come near. You can't be content to stand in the tent and watch somebody else encounter God. You have to step out and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test the water. I'm going to test the water a little bit. I'm going to come close to God. Here's your obligatory, obligatory C.S. Lewis quote of the day. And I, I look for other people, but he just says it good. You know, what I mean? you know what I mean? He says, speaking about this idea of being afraid to approach God, he says, an impersonal God, well and good. A subjective God of beauty, truth, and goodness inside our own heads, Better still, a formless life force surging through us, a vast power which we can tap, that's best of all. But God himself, alive, pulling at the other end of the cord, perhaps approaching at an infinite speed, the hunter, king, husband, that's quite another matter. In other words, we like these conceptions of God that are impersonal, a life force. I love talking to people in Eugene. Hey, you know, would you like to come to Joy Church? Oh, I have, I have you know, I'm, I'm a spiritual person. What does that mean? Right? Well, I, I have a belief in the, the power of the universe, right? And it's all very neither here nor there. Why? Because neither here nor there, an impersonal life force doesn't come and say, treat your wife better than you do. An impersonal life force doesn't come and say, you know how you were screaming and yelling on the belt line when you were driving down the road? You shouldn't do that. An impersonal life force doesn't come and say, why don't you open up your, your pocketbook and give to the poor? An impersonal life force doesn't come and say, you shouldn't look at those things that you're looking at at night after everybody else is asleep. An impersonal life force is not challenging because it's not personal. And thus we are afraid of the God who has a name, Jesus Christ, who comes and wants to dwell with you. The scripture says that, he'll, he'll, that God sticks, uh, is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And I always used to think, well, sometimes I don't want my brother around. <laughs> sometimes I'm like, get out of here, Johnny. Beat it, you know, little slime ball, beat it. And I wanted my own time, my own privacy. When we want our own space, sometimes we don't want God in our space, right? And so this impersonal God is an easier thing to deal with. We're, because why? We're afraid that if we let God into our house, he's going to say, I'd like a different paint color on the walls. And if we let him into the room, he's going to say, this is what I'd li- when I'd like meals to be served. We're afraid that he'll take control. We're afraid that he'll, he'll reorder things because we want to stay the same. Do you want more of God? Because let me tell you, there's such a positive side of this. When Jesus comes into your life, yeah, he's going to knock some walls out and clean out some closets and change things. And you know what you'll get? Freedom. You know what you'll get? Joy. You know what you'll get? Eternal life. We stand and we hold these worthless, nasty rags and we cling to them. And Jesus says, I want to give you the robes of righteousness. I want to teach you how to live. I want to teach you how to love. I want to teach you how to laugh. I want to teach you how to be a real person as I've made you to be. And we stand there and we hold on to what we have because we don't have an idea of what God wants 
to give to us. And people are afraid to come near to God. But when we settle this in our hearts and we say, God, I want more of you, God, this year. I want to I know you more. I want to not be the person who's comfortable with my level of God and standing in my tent uh, door and watching somebody else encounter you. But God, I want to move forward. I want to press in. I want to pursue you. How do we do that? I want to give you three practical steps today and then we'll go eat something good for lunch. I think my wife's got split pea soup in the crock pot. Amen. At home. Number one, you have to believe the gospel. If, if I could just get our church to believe the gospel, and I'm not talking about, you know, oh, I'm saved, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. No, I mean believe the gospel. Like you grasp hold of this message that Jesus came and paid for your sins and made a, a relationship with God accessible and available to you. It, that would be amazing. That would be incredible. Believe the gospel. Number one, we need to believe in the gospel. We need to know that this relationship with God is possible because of Jesus and really believe that when we put our faith in Christ, that he paid for our sins. And we don't have to hesitantly approach God, but we can come boldly. It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice, and I love this part here, we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. If you have Jesus, you are a friend of God. Do you know, if I were to put Jake Schmelzer up for examination by God Almighty, I, would, I wouldn't do it. I'd be terrified and, and, and I would know that I didn't measure up. How many of you feel the same about yourself? But guess what? I'm not just Jake Schmelzer. Jake Schmelzer died. When I was baptized and I accepted Christ, that old life was gone. And in its place is now the life of Jesus. So when I approach God, guess who God sees? He knows Jake Schmelzer, yes. But positionally, who does he see? He sees Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, and also God's own Son. Do you know why you can relate to God as a son or a daughter? Because in Christ, you are God's son or daughter. Not like, oh, kind of you are. No, no, you, you are. He now sees Jesus and he sees with affection his sinless, perfect, spotless son. And if you believe the gospel, do you know what that makes you do? It makes you run to God and say, God, I want more of you. I want to know you, God. And it allows God to work in your life, but you have to believe the gospel, number one. Number two, to have more of God, we need to pursue a relationship. Pursue a relationship. You know, one of the things that I, I think happens as Christians is that we say, yeah, I want more of God. And then we never make any room for him in our life. We never make any room for him in our life. What you have to do is say, God, I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to set aside time. I'm going to take some, maybe it's 10 minutes in the morning and I'm going to open up uh, the version Bible on my iPad or I'm going to open up my Bible. I'm going to read. I'm going to pray. I'm going to, I'm going to make some space for God. I'm make some space for you in my life in prayer and Bible reading. I'm going to wait on you, God. It says, the scriptures say that if you draw near to God, he'll draw, draw near to you. And oftentimes we're waiting for God to just come in and show up. And sometimes he does. But honestly, the way that we build a relationship is by having a relationship. How do you build a relationship? You, you engage in that relationship. And you need to understand that God wants a relationship with you even more than you want one with him. So when you make space for him in your life, he's going to come. So many Christians, I, I talk to them and, 
I hear stuff like, well, if I knew how to pray or if I knew how to, the right words to say and, you know, and there's this, this fear that, that God is distant and cold and not wanting to, to connect with you. And let me just tell you, he put his son on a cross so that he could have a relationship with you. You don't think that he wants it? He gave heaven's greatest treasure just for the chance to know you the chance to have a relationship with you. And when you look at that in that way, you got to understand God is not hiding. He's not aloof and not able to be bothered with your concerns. He wants to know you. And so when you make space and you pursue relationship, he's going to show up. And we're going to talk about the ways that we can make room for God in this series this month. As we get ready to close up here, I want to give you this this last one here. We need to believe in the gospel. We need to pursue relationship. And we also need to be committed to live for more than a moment. Live for more than just a moment with God. It says in Exodus 33, 11, we read this already, but I'll just highlight it. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp. Moses had his business done with God. He, He left. But the young man who assisted him, Joshua, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. New King James Version says he would linger longer. He would linger longer. There was a deep hunger and a passion for relationship with God that went far beyond duty and far beyond religion. And it was relationship, a hunger to know God, to talk to God, to remain behind in his presence. Joshua wasn't there for a moment with God, an encounter with God. He wanted a relationship with God that went on and on and on. He remained. He didn't just go. I want to ask you today, are you looking for an encounter or are you looking for a relationship? You know, when I, on March 17th, 2007, coming up on my 10-year wedding anniversary, when I professed my love and, and married my wife, Bethany, that was an encounter. That was a moment. But that's not what we were in it for. We were in it for a marriage. And a lot of people say, oh, I want to have an encounter with God. And they're, they're in it for the moment, but they're not in it for the marriage. Are you wanting the day-to-day? Are you wanting the remaining kind of a relationship with God? Or do you want to show up on Sundays and get enough and then have your own life the rest of the week? You see, just like a real relationship with Bethany, sometimes she doesn't look the same as she did on our wedding day. And luckily I don't because I was like 80 pounds heavier. Sometimes, you know, I have bad breath. Sometimes I'm not super nice. Sometimes she doesn't do the right thing. And our marriage isn't always all mountaintop moments. There's ebb and flow and it's good and bad and it goes up and down. But in all of that is where the real relationship is at. Come on. And see, if you're always like, well, you know, church should always just be, I go to church to just get filled with God. And then the rest of the week I do my own thing. You're missing the relationship. You're just a moment Christian. And God wants you to be a marriage Christian. He wants you to to make a vow and have a moment. And you know, I have some great moments in my marriage, but those moments, they pale in comparison to the day-by-day commitment of love that my wife looks at me with my hair messed up and, you know, Cheetos on my chest and all kinds of stuff, and, and she remains committed to me. And that's more than just a moment. And God wants to bring us into these day-to-day, I walk with God. That's where the transformation is. I'm not just here to meet with God and then leave. I want to remain. I want to stay. I want to live in His presence. I want to be transformed by Him in great moments so that I can remain with Him. 
A relationship isn't just two hours on a Sunday morning. You know, what if Bethany said, well, you know, we had our marriage moment, our wedding moment, and now I'd love to see you two hours a week on Sunday mornings. Well, great, I'd love to see you two hours. I mean, yeah, if, I, if that's all I could get, then I would take it because I love you. But that's not how it works, is it? It wouldn't really be a real relationship. God doesn't want visitation rights for his kids. Think about that. God doesn't just want visitation rights for his kids. Well, I get to see my kids on Sunday mornings. God wants you in his lap every night. God wants you at his feet. God wants you around. God wants to dwell with you. He wants to be there for you as a father and wrap his arms around you when you go through a hard time. And he wants to coach you when you're in the game. And God wants to speak to you every day. And God wants to let his presence dwell with you. Do you want more of God? Do you want more of him? Because through Jesus, we can get to God. His presence is known and accessible. It's known and accessible. Hebrews 4, verse 14 probably one of the greatest books in the Bible, Hebrews, says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. He gets us. Because he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Matthew 27, verse 50, speaks about the moment when Jesus was crucified and everything changed and God's presence was made accessible. It says, Jesus shouted out again, Matthew 27, 50, and he released his spirit. And at that moment, that very moment when God paid the price and he, and he paid for our sins, the curtain that separated us from God's presence in the sanctuary, in the temple, it was torn in two from top to bottom. This thing was like a foot thick to show people that you really don't, you can't be in God's presence. And that thing was ripped from the top to the bottom that God was so ready to make his presence accessible to all people through his son Jesus that he ripped it into two pieces. And he said, open for business. Come on, somebody. God's presence is known and accessible. The earth shook, the rocks split apart, tombs opened. It was like zombie apocalypse. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. And they left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city of Jerusalem and appeared to many people. It was crazy. There was so much life that rushed into creation at that moment that dead people got up and walked around. Hey, what happened? What's going on? That's how I felt last night with the fireworks on River Road. Oh my gosh, what's going on here? So much life entered into creation at that moment that dead people woke up. God's presence is known and accessible. You can have a relationship with Him. Are you just content to watch somebody else go to the tent of meeting? Or do you want to say, hey, wait for me, Moses and Joshua. I'm coming too. Come on, I'm coming too. Because there's a new normal. That veil was torn in two. Resurrection life is available every day. Did you know that joy is available to you every day? Peace is available to you every day. I remember one time I had a friend. He goes, oh, I'm just going through a dry spell. I'm going through a wilderness season. And I'm like, you know what? 
when the Israelites went through the wilderness, the rock followed them along with water. They always had water. The rock followed them along with water. They, God will provide for you. You might be walking in a wilderness, but you can be really wet in your relationship with God. You can have lots of water. There's no reason for you to be dry in your relationship with God. God is accessible to you. He's knowable. Are we just comfortable or do we want more? I want more this year. Are you with me? Amen. Let's stand up and pray today.